0: This podcast is from the RAND Corporation, a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision-making through research and analysis. Visit www.rand.org to learn more about us and to explore RAND's free online library of more than 20,000 policy reports and commentaries. Hello and welcome. I'm Priscilla Hunt, an economist studying crime at the RAND Corporation. In the second episode of the podcast, I'm speaking with three academics, Dr. Peter Leisure, Dr. Naomi Sugi, and Dr. Mike Wollo who were on our policy panel for the Career Prospects for People with Criminal Records Symposium. We're going to recap some key takeaways and hear about any updates in their research. So my first guest today is Dr. Peter Leisure. He's an assistant professor of criminal justice at York College, PA. Hi, Pete. Thanks for joining me again. Happy to be back chatting with you.
1: Hi. How are you?
0: I'm good. So, so Pete, I came across your research when I was doing a study on policies that might incentivize employers to hire qualified people with criminal records. And what I found super interesting about your work is the policy you evaluated. So these certificates of relief or rehabilitation, uh, they're called different things in different jurisdictions. They're not that common, and I'm finding more and more people talking about these as potential ways of vouching or vetting people with a criminal record. So before we talk about what you find in your study, can you talk a bit more about what are certificates of relief, particularly the ones in Ohio?
1: So Ohio's really has three main components to it. The first is that the uh, certificates in Ohio are specifically created to um remove automatic licensing barriers, but they can also be used for uh, general employment purposes, such as a entry level position that does not require a license. The second component to these certificates in Ohio is that they provide negligent hiring immunity. So in essence, an employer cannot be sued for hiring somebody because of their criminal record if that person later commits a dangerous act. Mm. And the final thing, is that it provides a stamp of good character because as a part of the uh, certificate application process, a court conducts a, a background check so it ensures that there is no risk to public safety.
0: okay and and one question about that actually in Ohio, how long after somebody is released or the conviction, are they eligible for these certificates of? Uh,
1: that's nice. Yeah, that's, so that's an excellent question. Ohio actually has, looking across different jurisdictions, one of the more progressive statutes here. So for felonies, it's one year after completion of all sanctions. And for misdemeanors, it's only six months after completion of all sanctions. And other jurisdictions are a little longer than that. Three years, I think, is, you see, is pretty common for uh, felonies in other jurisdictions.
0: So I think that's been super helpful for people who don't know about these certificates and maybe even people who know about the certificates, but as you point out, they can be quite different across jurisdictions. Um, in Ohio, it's a shorter period of time than you know here in California where I am.
1: Certainly. So,
0: So now we know a bit about the policy you evaluated. Can you tell us more about your research, uh, your research design and what you found?
1: Absolutely. So – I used an experimental field experiment, I actually, send resumes to employers. And uh, the resumes were exactly the same as far as work history, education, and those uh, other resume com- components, such as like phone number and address. But the only difference on the resumes were a name and then a criminal record condition. So on one resume, it did not note anything, it didn't note anything about a criminal record whatsoever. On another resume, it noted a voluntary statement about a criminal record. I just want to be upfront that I have a criminal record from you know this many years ago. And on the third resume, it noted the exact same voluntary statement about criminal record, but it also said, "But I also have a certificate um, from Ohio," and it presented the certificate at the end of the resume. And the results actually showed they're mixed at this point. But there it is some it looks promising as far as the uh, effectiveness of these certificates. So it looks like it's more effective for white applicants rather than African-American applicants. But again, that's only been a couple individual studies at this time and more research is needed. But at the current time, it, it does look promising. It does look promising.
0: So by promising you mean uh, you, you sent out these resumes and people with a criminal record but who had that certificate were more likely to get a job than just the people who had a criminal record?
1: Yeah, but that's correct, especially in the study done in Columbus from 2016. I think the data collection was in 2015. So that particular study actually showed that there was no difference in callbacks for interviews between applicants with the certificate and applicants with no criminal record at all, which okay. is which is pretty remarkable in and of itself. But, again, that's a preliminary study. Okay.
0: And the job types that you were sending this for, can you remind me if these were all entry-level jobs, higher-level jobs?
1: Certainly, yeah. These were entry-level positions within each study.
0: Okay. And they were all jobs where you need to have a license or you don't?
1: These are jobs that do not require a license.
0: Okay. So for people out there who, let's say, have a criminal record or are working with people who have criminal records, uh, in Ohio, um, it sounds like potentially getting this certificate improved the likelihood of getting a job offer, but inconclusive for non-white applicants.
1: That's so. correct. Yeah, that's correct.
0: Okay. And are you able to say anything about why the certificate works, like why you think um, from your research um it's been effective for some for some people.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting, but unfortunately, with the particular design used, you can't really disentangle which one of those uh, elements of the certificate was impactful. So, okay. it certainly could be the negligent hiring immunity, but it could also be the stamp of good character that the uh, court has essentially conducted a background check on the individual. So it's you can't really disentangle those. I mean, and it certainly could be a combination of both.
0: Right. So it might be a, a research idea out there for anyone who's listening. Um, certainly. Who's getting getting their PhD or any other researcher. Okay. And so, um, you know, a question I often have when I run these experiments too, or questions that people ask me are, how likely am I to find this result uh, in Another jurisdiction, another location. So, you know, suppose California went to use this type of certificate, um, would you be able to observe the same type of results? You know, sort of why or why not? Is there anything you could say about that?
1: I mean, it's an excellent question, but the the best part about that question is that it can be answered. So, I firmly believe that these type of studies should be replicated with other in other jurisdictions. I mean whether this research can be replicated. I mean it's it's just too soon to tell. I mean we've seen similar experimental studies in domestic violence and the scared straight that, you know, were not successfully repeated in other jurisdictions. So I just I, I think it's I think it's best to just do that research and answer that question.
0: Yeah. So we do have time for one more question and one thought I had was about the that these results were for men and that the Resumes that you got that you sent out were had male names on them, and during our symposium we chatted about how you were doing experiments um, with for females and female resumes. Do you have any of those results that you um, are willing to share with us if you're at that point?
1: absolutely I have some very early preliminary results. I actually just did them today as a matter of fact oh. so All right. yeah, and it's actually quite interesting, so using um, replicating the research with women names, it actually showed that there wasn't really a difference between um, women with no criminal record and women with a criminal record, let alone the certificate. So at least on the women's side of the study, it shows that the impact of a criminal record is much less than it is for men, which is very surprising. And this is repeated in the same jurisdiction as the previous study. So it's, it's really interesting.
0: Wow, and so we would also, I mean, that in itself is its own study to wonder why, um, because it's pretty unexpected, right? It is. People with a criminal record, certainly um, employers view it, have viewed it as signal, and as we'll talk with more people, um, you know, there's stigma around having a criminal record. So these would be some pretty shocking findings if they end up to hold up.
1: Certainly. It is rather consistent with some previous studies that have looked at the criminal record stigma with women. But uh, so the results have been mixed even before this one. So, but yeah, absolutely. It is preliminary and I'm looking forward to delving into the issue more.
0: Yeah, that's great. Well, I feel like we could talk forever, but that's all the time we have. Thanks, Pete. All
1: right. Thank you.
0: My next guest is Michael Vuolo. Mike is an associate professor of sociology at Ohio State. Hi, Mike. Hi, Priscilla. Like many of you, Mike and I are working from home, so you might be hearing noises during this podcast from pets, children, or other family members. So thanks for understanding as we work from our homes during this time. So Mike, you are one of the only presenters, maybe other than Sean Bushway, who we had on the morning panels of the symposium to talk about research from the perspective of job applicants. Sean has spoken on this podcast series about Uh, what desistance or stopping offending looks like and how it's not always this slow reduction in offending, um, but actually, you know, people just stop. And he talked about how employers could look into hiring these folks. Uh, Pete Leisure talked about his experiments with employers and whether they call back more applicants if they have a certificate vouching for their employability. And he finds they do, but not in all cases. And so for me, your work rounds out some of this evidence by telling us when job applicants decide not to apply to an employer. And this turns out to be really important, both for employers to think about, because they may not be getting the applicants they're looking for, and obviously for the applicants, because they are not maximizing their opportunities to get a job. So for our listeners, can you talk a little bit about what motivated your study, why study the research questions you did, um, you know, how you studied it and some findings.
2: Yeah. So my involvement in this area of research goes back to an audit that we did in Minnesota, very similar to what Pete described for his research. And that research has often focused on one side of the application process, namely the employer and their experiences, why they discriminate against certain applicants. And so really, we wanted to flip the question and understand the applicant's perspective about why they apply for certain jobs. And to give credit where credit is due, this research idea actually came to me from two of the graduate students that I work with, Eric LaPlante and Leslie Schneider, who came to me and asked this very question, what about Applicants, how do they select the jobs that they apply to, and does Mm. the application itself in terms of the criminal record questions or criminal background checks have anything to do with which jobs they apply to?
0: Right.
2: And so that was our research question. Do applicants self-select out of jobs where the application contains either a criminal record question or what we refer to as a background check statement? Um, So we did this by sampling 300 individuals in central Ohio who'd recently exited incarceration, And we did a sort of lab experiment where we uh, assigned them a fictional job and then showed them four different applications that only differed by the criminal record question or a background check statement and then one control that had no such question or statement and asked them which they would apply to. And we followed that up with uh, in-depth interviews with about half of them. So in terms of findings, we found that among the applications that contained the criminal record question or the criminal background check statement and the applicant was eight times more likely to select out of those applications relative to the application that had no criminal record question or background check statement. And when we followed up in the interviews to ask them why, um, we found that for those that self-select out, they uh, feel a sense of stigmatization or that they're a sense of defeatism or burnout by applying for jobs that they don't get.
0: I see. So, So one argument could be Look, if the employer is not going to hire them anyway, and they're feeling this burnout, then shouldn't the applicant just not waste their time? I you know, I remember from, from that symposium, you found that it was not the case. So some employers would have hired them. Can you tell us a bit more about that?
2: Well, we certainly know from the audits that have been done that some employers are going to call back individuals with criminal records. The callback rate is not zero. For our audit in Minnesota in 2008, we actually interviewed the employers, and they they are able to make distinctions between sort of seriousness of records, the recency of a record. Uh, they're able to make those distinctions, and they choose applicants based on that. But also, the applicants in our current study they're pretty savvy about which industries and occupations they can apply to that have good chances of getting a callback. Uh, but at the same time, some of them end up just feeling so stigmatized that they completely burn out and exit the labor market completely. So, And then they return to a life of crime. And so you see this cycle where feeling burnout from applying, not applying, and then returning to crime. So in that sense, um, you know, from the applicant's perspective, it's not completely about whether the employers are willing or willing, are not willing to call them back because they may not apply at all.
0: I see. So the thinking there is... Uh, with some more effort, of course, um, continuing the application is worth it because some of those employers will actually hire somebody with a criminal record. Um, that criminal background check that we're going to do a criminal background check, there is missing some nuance, which is, look, we do hire people. You know, we may see this criminal background check and then we'll hire you. It doesn't mean I look at a criminal background check. If there's a felony on there, I don't hire you. That's right. Right. Um, okay. So, can you tell from your research, are some people with records getting jobs because they send in more applications, or are people who fill in the applications fundamentally different in a positive way? Um, because, of course, in your study, you had people who would um, fill out those applications even if they saw criminal background checks, so I'm wondering about them. Can you tell us a little bit about people who apply anyway?
2: That's right. Not everybody selects out of applying. There is a group who will still apply regardless of the question or the criminal background check statement. And so like I alluded to, some of this has to do with targeting industries that don't care about records. So there's, it's well known as, amongst our respondents anyway that certain industries um, such as construction uh, and restaurants just did not care about whether people had records. And this is important to consider because those places still ask they still often have a criminal record question or a background check statement, but for those who are in the know who that these places will still hire you, they'll go ahead and go through with the application anyway. For others, they simply felt it was so unavoidable that they had to do it anyway um, and didn't, for some reason, experience the defeatism or the burnout. And others felt very highly of themselves, what we would consider to be extremely optimistic, uh, and so in sociology, you know, we consider this agency that they don't feel like the structural barriers necessarily apply to them. Hmm. And a lot of other people work networks that they know someone and that's how they know to apply to a specific place that won't care.
0: So, one thing I found fascinating about your research, because it's not really something I've done uh, methodologically in my research, is you had quotes during the symposium. And so when you're talking about these different groups of people um, in terms of how they feel in, in the hiring process, can you share any uh, quotes with us from your interviews?
2: Sure. I'll, I'll share quotes that both demonstrate that people anticipate stigma, but also those who actually feel extremely optimistic. So on the stigma side, you can take a quote like that of Charles. These are all pseudonyms. And um, He had spent several years working before acquiring a criminal record. He said, as soon as I got a felony, it was very different. I kind of felt discouraged about it. I get embarrassed because they just, it was like they were disgusted with me. Uh, Dolores says, it makes me feel intimidated. It makes me feel as though I'm going to be treated differently than someone who doesn't have a record. They're going to see you as a threat because you have a record when you're actually not. And it's, they're looking at paper. They're not really getting to know the person. So to me, I feel horrible. And uh, Latrice also said, I feel ashamed having to disclose my record. On the other side, of them, there's those who have this incredible optimism. So James, for example, said, My record isn't the greatest. However, it hasn't stopped me personally from getting jobs. I have a lot of self-determination. I think it's all in the person and their will and their desire. You can let the system or your background or your criminal record put you in a box if you choose to. It's a choice. Some doors aren't going to be open, but you just got to keep moving. Uh, similarly, uh, another person said, I ain't scared of nothing. I don't care. You got to tell me no. If I can get in your office, I'm going to get the job. The application will scare a person from calling you. But if I get in your office, it's a wrap. Someone will say, yes, it's just a matter of getting up, getting into your office, you know, so just that I can do it. I can get the job. I can do the job. Ooh,
0: feels pretty good about his opportunities. (laughs) That's cool. Um, You know, so I'm out here in L.A. Your studies were in Minnesota and in Columbus, Ohio, like uh, Dr. Peter Leisure. So I'll ask you what I asked him. Do you think this results holds everywhere, somewhere like California, New York?
2: I think the biggest difference that you'll find is that their ban the box policies differ across uh, states and cities. And so um, in Minnesota, for example, they were an early ban the box adopter. So there could be something different about Minnesota um, than states that have, say, recently adopted ban the box or don't have them at all. So we definitely recommend studies like these elsewhere, but I would say that the idea of feeling stigmatized because of your record is likely to be something that's more universal. And so to the degree that that matters, it will affect whether people apply for jobs, but this is likely to be affected by whether the policy environment has something like Ban the Box and how long it's been on the books.
0: So... That kind of leads into a question I've been asking um, as a final question to our researchers about recommendations from your research, either for people with a record or employers and policymakers. You know, what do you think your research is finding in terms of recommendations for policy?
2: To start with the applicants, it's difficult to say, well, please don't feel stigmatized. But the, the truth is that with uh, with every application you apply to, you do increase your chances of getting a single job. And so you only need one job. And the more that you apply to, the more you increase those odds. Um, and so the advice to applicants would be don't assume that the record question or the background check statement will automatically disqualify you from positions because clearly it doesn't disqualify people from all positions. And, and s- some participants feel that certain industries and uh, and positions don't even care. On the policy side, um, what we would recommend is, well, first, our criminal record question findings cohere with the spirit of Ban the Box, but from the other side. So the background for Ban the Box was to remove it to prevent employer uh, discrimination against applicants. But what we're finding is it's also having the effect that applicants remove themselves from even applying to begin with. So we feel that those findings cohere with the nature and spirit of ban the box. But also what we'd recommend is that these criminal background check statements, which we have found became more common after ban the box in our audit in Minnesota, those are also having an effect of preventing individuals with records from applying. So we would recommend moving the consent process for a background check statement to later in the application process, which is completely with the nature and spirit of Ban the Box. So, for example, uh, National Employment Law Project considers the Minnesota Ban the Box case to be best practice, and the idea there is that you remove the criminal record question from the application. People come in, they do an interview, and then a background check statement happens after that. But, you know, employers want to get the signature for consent at the application stage. That's why it's on there. But what we would recommend is to remove that background check consent to later in the process.
0: All right. Well, this has been fantastic. Thank you very much for joining me, Mike.
2: You're welcome.
0: My next guest is Naomi Sugi. Naomi is a associate professor of criminology, law, and society, and by courtesy sociology at the University of California, Irvine, just down the road here. Hi, Naomi. Hi. We're glad to have you. So. Naomi, some of the impetus for asking you to join us for the symposium was actually based on the work I had just completed at the time. Um, Some of the explanations of our results that I wanted to think through had some um, features of the work that you had been doing. So with Rosanna Smart and Flavia saying, we were doing experiments to see what policies incentivized employers to hire people with a criminal record. And our results at the time were pretty clear that employers were more willing to hire people with a criminal record if they had more detailed work history information or if they had a guarantee replacement program, um, assuming they were working with a staffing agency. And so at the time, my initial explanation was really about risk, right? So what employers may be doing is that they 're trying to find ways to reduce what they see as a risk of hiring somebody who may commit a crime at work or speak negatively to their colleagues or maybe do something outside of work and not be able to show up on time or whatever it may be, but it was really a, a risk uh, explanation that I was thinking through, um, but our study didn 't have a design that allowed us to understand exactly why so we couldn't we couldn 't say for certain and i I also thought, all right, I, I can't help wondering if there's another explanation outside of this risk framework. Um, and and you know, in economics, we have what's probably poorly termed as this taste-based dim- discrimination. But basically, it that's um, a, you know a preference or approval, disapproval of groups of society. So really, not risk, but just a preference. And I wanted. More evidence in the room for that symposium, speaking about this other angle, you know, is there evidence either way that stigma influences employers' decisions about hiring people with a record? And so I, of course, came across your research. And uh, what I also thought would be super interesting, in addition to the findings, is just, you know, something that uh, you were studying was this concept of stigma that people would know about but wouldn't be familiar about how you can study it. Right. So I imagine when you say you study stigma, people are thinking, how could you possibly measure that? How do you define it? Um, And Particularly, how do you test whether stigma actually influences an employer's decision? So what I think your study does a really good job of of is testing these out. And, you know, with that, I think it's a really good way to kind of set up and hear more from you about um, what you and your colleagues were studying exactly. You know, how did you do it? Uh, And then maybe hear some more about the results.
3: Yeah. So your focus on uh, risk and specifically about how employers are worried about uh, applicant risk, about the risk that the person, once they've hired that person, will commit some sort of bad behavior on the job and specifically about Risk that is uh, of committing behavior that is similar to the type of behavior that led to their offense to begin with. Like that, focus on that is a pretty common explanation uh, that we hear about in policy circles and in academic circles about Mm -hmm. why employers need access to criminal record information. So even though we know that employers are adverse to hiring people with records, uh, if their aversion is really driven by their fear that the applicant that they hire will be a risky person on the job, then that seems like a really legitimate reason, uh, really rational, really justifiable reason to give employers access to criminal record information at all stages of the hiring process. Um, So that's a really common reason and justification for why hiring decision makers, you know, not even just employers, but also landlords and institutes of higher education, That all of these different decision makers need access to criminal records to make appropriate and uh, relevant decisions for their institutions. Um, But there's also this other explanation that you mentioned about discrimination and stigma relating to the criminal record itself. That is over and above anything um, driven by the offense that led to the criminal record. So we're talking about um, stigma, negative stereotypes, status loss and discrimination that is really the result of being in contact with the criminal justice system. And so all of the negative stereotypes that come with the criminal justice system um, then kind of get attached to this person that has the criminal record that may not have anything actually to do with the offense that led to their, or the behavior that led to their record. And um, we think it's really important to distinguish between these two different possibilities because they lead to really different policy recommendations about what to do. Um, On the one hand, if it's about applicant risk, um, that seems, like I said, really justifiable. And so we might try to incentivize employers to hire people with records while also giving them access to record information at all stages of the hiring process. But if we think that there's a portion of that aversion um, that is really driven by negative stereotypes related to the criminal justice system. Then the rec- the record no longer is like a neutral filter that is signaling applicant behavior, but rather mm-hmm. the record is really perpetuating uh, disparities, racial disparities, uh, class disparities, um, you know, other types of dis- neighborhood disparities. About which neighborhoods are highly policed or not, giving employers access to this record information is really then exacerbating these disparities that are already connected to criminal justice contact.
0: So it strikes me then that's the um, kind of band the box story, right? So delaying the um, the criminal background check is tied into this idea of sort of early discrimination in the hiring process. At least that's kind of my take. Um, If if you go that route that there's like stigma and it's not completely about risk um, of what may happen or behaviors.
3: Yeah and so ban the box and fair chance hiring laws that are adopted throughout the country in various forms all have in common that they um, direct when an employer can consider can access and consider criminal record information when in the hiring process and uh, the idea is that you at least let that person get their foot in the door you let the applicant get their foot in their door without their record um, overshadowing all of their other uh, work qualifications that make them appropriate for that job and so these laws are not saying let's restrict information about criminal records completely from employers but they're saying let's try to structure when and how employers can use criminal record information and information about the offense types specifically to then make final hiring decisions. And um, let's try to at least let that applicant get their foot in the door by not asking about criminal records at the very initial hiring stages.
0: Right. And, and so what you and your colleagues do is try to study and distinguish between um the influence of stigma and the sort of risky behaviors and to what extent that influences employers' hiring decisions?
3: Yes. And like you alluded to at the beginning, it's really, really difficult to study stigma. Um <laughs> You know, and uh, it's really hard to study and isolate stigma uh, that is the result of a criminal record specifically. But what we try to do is we try to instead isolate risk. So we try to say, okay, um, we use uh, an experimental employer survey study. So we basically uh, surveyed employers and hiring decision-makers uh, throughout the United States. Uh, and we showed them different hypothetical applicants that had different types of bad behavior on their uh, in their past. And so for some employers, we showed them an applicant, they were randomly assigned to look at an applicant who had bad behavior signaled by um, a Facebook post. So that's a non criminal justice way of signaling some bad behavior in the past. And in this case, our bad behavior is drug use, uh, cocaine use specifically. Um, and Then we randomly assigned uh, other applicants to employers that were signaling bad behavior through criminal records. So not only did they have a Facebook post about cocaine use in the past, but they also uh, had an arrest record in some cases that didn't lead to conviction, and then in other cases an arrest and a conviction um, for uh, drug possession. And, and then we looked, Then, so after showing these different uh, applicants, hypothetical applicants to employers, we then ask employers uh, to evaluate them on a wide range of characteristics, um, including whether they think that the applicant will use drugs in the future. So by asking that question, we try to assess whether employers do see people with criminal records to be at heightened risk of committing the same or similar type of bad behavior in the future. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, We also ask a whole lot of other questions that assess other types of characteristics that presumably are really distant and not very connected to the specific bad behavior of drug use. Um, So things like being a team player or um, respecting Mm. authority um, or being late or absent often on the job and and then we asked some questions about whether the employers would hire them, um, whether the employer would hire the applicant for a range of different jobs. And these span um, what we call higher status jobs, which involve customer contact, and then manual labor jobs. Um, and basically, the what we found is, as you might expect, Uh, People with records were evaluated more negatively than the people who signaled similar behavior, but not through criminal justice contact. Um, They were evaluated more negatively, not just in terms of future drug use, which is that risk component. But they were also evaluated negatively across all sorts of other characteristics, such as being a team player and other things that you wouldn't necessarily connect to prior Uh, drug use in the past. And when we adjust for that uh, higher applicant risk of using drug use, we still find a substantial portion of unexplained additional aversion that is directed towards the applicants with the criminal record. And we attribute that unexplained additional uh, piece of aversion Even after adjusting for the uh, expectations about future drug use as being attributable to stigma resulting from the criminal record itself.
0: Right. And so, um, one question I have is the cocaine use. um, You know, obviously, you wouldn't want to suggest what findings would be if there was a different crime. Um, But if you had different crime, Um, or a different behavior, I should say, like um, a previous, like uh, I'm trying to think of something here like a burglary or something else um, that might be eventually on, um, uh, people would consider risky behavior, um, whether these kind of findings would still be applicable or something you would just have to study entirely again.
3: Yeah, I think the, so one reason why we chose drug use, um, and I should say we also, uh, in this design, we signaled prior drug use, but then subsequent rehabilitation through the Facebook post. Mm, okay. so, so in many ways, by the choice of drug use, as opposed to a uh, violent offense or a property offense, um And also by signaling this uh, rehabilitation, um, we were trying to choose an offense that would be relatively minor. Um, And we thought that in this case, by choosing something that would be relatively minor, um, any additional stigma related to the criminal justice system would correspondingly be modest. And so... You know, while drug use is very distinct from other types of more serious um, crimes that have victims, uh, I think we would expect to see similar results, if not even more stigma and a version related to that stigma of the criminal justice contact if we considered uh, more severe offense types.
0: Yeah,
3: right. Um,
0: so, as a final question, I've been asking our researchers, what kind of recommendations do you think come from your research? Um, I think you started, frankly, you know, we started a bit on that side of things, discussing policies. Uh, but perhaps as a clarification, or what do you think your research uh, says about policy implications going forward, or for people with a criminal record, um, you know, what should
3: they do? So we think that our findings and specifically the findings that stigma is uh, at least a partial driver of aversion to hiring people with records really supports current efforts to ban the box and to enact fair chance hiring laws. Um, Also, other laws that similarly put some sort of structure and restrictions around when, where, and how decision makers can access criminal record information. And, you know, even if people um, believe that the aversion that's related to the record is minimal compared to the concerns about risk um, and the value of seeing the record in terms of how it's useful to assess applicant risk. Um, Even if you um, take that stance, uh, you know, even notwithstanding our findings, but even if you take that stance, I think what we would emphasize is that it's very clear that the record is not a neutral filter of applicant behavior. The record is shaped by all sorts of things that shouldn't have any part in hiring decision-making. And I'm talking about applicants' race, whether you're black or brown. Um, I'm talking about gender, age, uh, the neighborhood that you grew up in. Even if you see our findings as partly supporting the the idea that employers are using criminal records to assess applicant risk somewhat, um, I think it's really important to emphasize that criminal records are not a neutral source of information about an applicant's past conduct. Um, We know, it's very well documented, we know that criminal justice contact uh, disproportionately impacts people who are poor, people who grew up in uh, highly policed neighborhoods and who live in highly policed neighborhoods, people who are racial and ethnic minorities, people who are young, people who are male. And for all of these reasons, um, these, these factors we, as a country, have decided that these factors should not influence hiring decision-making. And yet, by taking into account criminal records in making hiring decisions, um, these factors are influencing decision-making but just one step removed.
0: No, I think that that makes um, a lot of sense. Like, there's, you know, just the evidence behind... um, arrests and arrest decisions um and who is arrested and therefore who has criminal records and then the decision making um to use criminal record as part of a hiring decision um those are they can't be independent from each other uh, i think is is what your research finds um
3: yeah just add that in this context that we're going through right now um where the george floyd killing has really shown a bright light on the racial injustice uh that is happening through our policing system throughout the country right now um i would argue that giving unfettered access to criminal records um throughout all stages of the hiring process perpetuates so many of those disparities at later and later stages. Um, So the things that we're seeing now at the policing side, um, those things just continue and reverberate throughout a person's life and exacerbate um, the life chances that they have um, to find work, to find an apartment, to pursue higher education. Um, And so thinking seriously about whether records are really providing the sort of neutral filter that some of the policies and practices um, are based on is a really important assumption to interrogate.
0: So I haven't asked this before, but um, so do you think then that the stigma would be apply you, you finding the stigma or discussing the stigma through criminal background checks. Um, if we completely removed, uh, let's say it were possible to eliminate criminal background checks uh, that employers could do any kind of check like that. Um, is there another? Is there another policy idea that? employers could get the information they're really after through some kind of check or some kind of, um, some sort of information rather than this, um, you know, what they're getting when they get, get a criminal background check um, information. Could you get, because I think we did some of that when we were trying to test the policies that employers really want. Um, or what incentivizes people to hire people with criminal records? And we were trying to see, like, is it the information uh, in their past that they want? Is it to be financially compensated if something happens? You know, what is it that they do want when they look through um, when they have a criminal background check? Um, and you know, our results were that they were more incentivized by information than more money. And so it did strike me that the criminal background check is is not is not quite right. It's not quite what they're after.
3: I think that there are clear areas where criminal records come into play in hiring decision making. And that's where the offense that occurred is directly tied to the functions on the job, or might endanger vulnerable vulnerable groups like children. Yeah. And so, I think there are ways to create a system that provides access to relevant offenses, um, while also trying to limit how um, generalized criminal generalized stigma related to the criminal record uh, trying to limit the you know the negative consequences of seeing kind of just any record that comes up on a background check so the way we have it now when a employer requests a background check they get any record that comes up that includes arrests that don't result in convictions that includes arrests that happened years and years and years ago um, and arrests for offenses that pr- may arguably have very little to no relationship to what the job is um, that the person is hiring for now. And so because we see that there is stigma related to the record itself and not really the risk and that probably these processes are you know just that the employers are not able to recognize that these processes are happening themselves you know i think there there are ways to set up a system where you limit access to information that is less relevant um, while also recognizing that there are record um, and there are convictions that we need to consider in making hiring decisions for certain types of jobs dealing with certain groups of people. My
0: last question will then be around um, liability. And and one of the issues that's come up um, throughout the symposium and and some of these sessions when I've been discussing with speakers again is that um, what employers are doing is – even if they believe the risk to be low, let's say, um, but when they have, they've done a criminal background check and something has come up, they believe that means that their liability has increased if something happens. Is there anything you could say that could speak to that or the evidence um, from your study, whether that's um, consistent or inconsistent with anything that you found?
3: Yeah, so I think negligent hiring um, lawsuits and liability yeah. is, uh, is a very commonly stated concern. And, you know, if that is a law that is um, really the one thing preventing employers from taking the risk to hire someone, who has a record, then I think that we really do need to consider what are the benefits of having those uh, laws in place. I will say that that is um, something that we try to look at in our research, actually, um, because negligent hiring is sort of a, uh, is related to this idea of applicant risk for sure, right? It's, um, it's one specific version of how, um, applicant risk can really manifest as a driver of aversion. Because negligent hiring lawsuits are really, um, about, uh, the risk of injuring someone, uh, on the job who is a customer, for instance, um, or some other third party, um, that's not a coworker. So negligent hiring lawsuits are not mm. ab- to injuries happening to coworkers. They're, ha- they're applicable um, to injuries that occur on the job to um, people like who are customers. Um, we thought that we might see a kind of aversion to hiring applicants with records. Uh, being the greatest among customer service positions, or positions that require customer contact, right. as opposed to positions um, that require office work without customer contact, or uh, positions that require manual labor. So we did ask employers to assess whether they would hire this person for these three different types of jobs. and if you expect that employers are really concerned about negligent hiring, they might be more wary of hiring people with records for positions that have customer contact. But we actually found that um, employers were wary of hiring people for positions with customer contact, but they were equally wary of hiring people for positions that require office work, Mm -hmm. which is a setting that presumably has less of a connection to negligent hiring um, liability concerns. What we interestingly found is that for positions that require manual labor. Employers were actually not any more likely to penalize a person with a criminal record um, as compared to a person who showed drug use through non-criminal justice sources. So aversion was really concentrated in what we term higher status job positions, those positions that require customer contact that are customer facing positions and positions that require office work um, as opposed to manual labor positions. Um, and so if we were to, I think that this provides suggestive evidence that negligent hiring is not really driving the aversion that we're seeing here right? Um, because of the pattern of results across these three different types of positions.
0: Thank you for joining me today, Naomi. I really enjoyed our conversation.
3: Thank you. Very happy to have been here.
0: That brings us to the end of this symposium recap. If you like what you heard, look for our other episodes in this series in the Events at Rand podcast feed. RAND is a nonprofit institution that helps improve policy and decision making through research and analysis. To learn more about RAND's research on jobs and criminal records, visit www.rand.org/slash criminal records.